before we get to practicing vagal breathing, just a little word of warning. If you are operating heavy machinery or driving, please do not practice the vagal breathing right now. Just wait until you are in a safe place before practicing this. All right, let's begin. Hello and welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one best-selling book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And if you are a sensitive soul and you would like to have my free gift, the Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, you can go to sensitivesoulguide.com. And it's the three ways of navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power because us sensitive souls could need some support from time to time. And today our special guest is Richard L. Haight and I'm really excited to have him on the show today. It's been a wild number of months that I've been like thinking about it, ruminating about it, you know, uh, and then finally we are able to connect because what he teaches is super, super important, I feel, because it, of course I feel it's very aligned to what I teach as well, which is why I resonate so much with this work. We're going to be talking about one of his several books. So he's the best-selling author of multiple books, including The Unbound Soul, The Warrior's Meditation, which we're talking about today, Unshakable Awareness, and The Genesis Code. He's a master-level instructor of martial meditation and healing arts. He began formal martial arts training at the age of 12 and moved to Japan at the age of 24 to pursue advanced training with the masters of the sword, staff, and, oh boy, Aiki Jiu-Jitsu, Aiki Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> Should have practiced that one. Um, so he's been awarded master's licenses in four samurai arts. The only person I have ever met that has done that, which is pretty amazing. And a traditional healing art called Sotai Bo. Richard is one of the world's foremost experts in the traditional Japanese martial arts. Through his books, his meditation, martial arts seminars, uh, Richard is helping to ignite a worldwide movement for personal transformation that is free of all constraints and open to anyone at any level. And what I really loved about when I first started reading the book was because I, I have this thing, and many people that have followed me know this, is that I was never good at or a fan of, you know, having to sit there for 40 minutes, 60 minutes going on. Now I'm meditating, right? And even my my spiritual teacher used to say, you know, 23 years ago, Dr. Karen, just take 10 minutes out of your time to meditate. Well, I couldn't even do that, and it felt like a failure. <laughs> and then I discovered you know, uh, Frank Kinsel's work, I discovered like, wait a second, if I just tune into my body and use my, now I know it's called clairsentience and feel the energy in my body, I'm completely present and in the moment. And I also practice martial arts, Kung Fu. Um, and it is Wing Chun Kung Fu. And boy, it, it could, it's super helpful to be fully present, right? And I think it's so neat that we're speaking the same language that Richard here is talking about how, no, 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 you don't have to sit in a pretzel. You can if you want, but you don't have to sit in a pretzel configuration with your eyes closed and, you know, toning or monitoring whatever for 60 minutes at a time to get the benefits of meditation. In fact, maybe there's even a better way. So without further ado, Richard, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Karen. It's a pleasure. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. So, so this total embodiment method, this is what you describe in your warrior's meditation book so uh first of all what inspired you to make this and what is it exactly so the total embodiment method actually began when i was like 12 years old mm. karate dojo and the teacher would have us do a meditation for about a minute before training and about a minute at the end so he would just say meditate and we'd sit cross-legged and meditate but he never explained to me what meditate or to anybody what meditation was 
And he was rather unapproachable, so I was afraid to ask. And uh, after a few years, the curiosity built, and I eventually summoned up the courage to ask one of the senior students. And I said, well, what do we do during meditation? And he says, well, honestly, I don't know, but I just visualize the techniques. Okay, I guess I'll do that. Um, and then I was curious what meditation was, and I knew that probably that wasn't meditation. I mean, not not. I didn't think that that's what was probably really meant by meditation. I mean, the word is mediate, right? Meditate is that, that mediate is in, so finding the center. Visualizing isn't exactly about finding the center. So I was, I was a bit wondering about that. And and then when I was 16, I, had, I was dating a girl, and uh, she, she came over to my house, and I, we, we grew up on a horse ranch, and I, I had to take care of the horses. And when I came back, I found her sitting on the washing machine in the laundry room, legs crossed, hands in the position, you know, the traditional Buddhist kind of meditation position and found the whole thing look kind of odd. So I walked up to her and said, you know, what are you doing? And she says, I'm meditating. Well, what's meditation? Because I've always wanted to know. I grew up in a rural town and there was nobody who knew anything about meditation. And so she explained her process to me. And it kind of stuck in the back of my mind. A few weeks later, I had a horrible, just horrible argument with my mother. And I was enraged. And I stormed out of the house, went up the hill behind her house. And by the time I got up to the hill, a strange thing happened. It was as if something had taken over my body and like guided it to sit in a certain spot in front of a certain eucalyptus tree. And I sat cross-legged, and then a meditation sort of naturally began. It wasn't what she taught me, because by then I kind of forgotten about the specific details of it. So if you don't practice it, you know, and keep up on it, you kind of, you know. Uh, but I don't know how long I was up there, but it was a summer evening. I went up there maybe seven and I didn't come down to about nine 30. I would imagine. I don't know actually how long I was meditating, but at some point me disappeared. It was as if uh, the environment and my body was all one seamless consciousness. There was no thought whatsoever. I remember my eyes were closed. And at one point, there was this pulling feeling on my left, which is was odd. But I remember the eyes opened and the head turned on its own. And there, I don't know, maybe 10 yards, probably less than that, five yards or whatever. There's a coyote uh, on the trail. It stopped and very calmly was looking at me. And our eyes met and we just held gaze for a little while. And after maybe 30 seconds, it I'm sauntered off. No fear in its eyes. I had no fear whatsoever. It, it felt like we were somehow communicating. My eyes, my head turned back and eyes closed and just resumed the seamless oneness. And then at some point later, I, again, it was timeless feeling. A bobcat walked right in front of me. Again, my eyes opened. I could feel it. You know, they walked very quietly. I didn't hear it. I just felt it. My eyes opened and I saw it go up the tree, up that eucalyptus tree. And it just sat on the branch and looking around it, it, it behaved as if i wasn't even there but i'm not sure that's possible because it's a summer evening in southern california so we're talking you know 80 90 degrees an enraged teenager with body odor that probably wafted off for a mile <laughs> that any animal would have picked up on so it's just that they weren't afraid of me mm. that's that's the only thing that i I could come up with but at the time there was no thought was it wasn't a thought about how amazing any of this was it was nothing 
There's no subjective or measuring thoughts whatsoever. No thoughts whatsoever. It was just happening. And then at some point, um, it became dark and my body just got up on its own and started walking down the hill. And about halfway down the hill, suddenly I came back. And then it hit me how amazing that experience was. It was like the most amazing experience I'd ever had. Like, right, waking experience, right? Right. And I thought, that must be what meditation is. That must be what meditation is. So then I spent every day trying to recapture that experience, and I never could. And I think it was probably, it wasn't until I was 22, and then I had what what I describe now as the isness experience. I talk about that in the book, The Unbound Soul, where essentially, uh, I'm sure some people have experienced this, you may have as well, I don't know, um, where you awaken to the fundamental essence of being. And it's it's a it's a it's an intelligence that's unimaginable, a love that's unimaginable. And I was in that space for several hours. I'd broken my ankle. I was meditating to try to overcome the pain. I'd broken it in a sparring match. And during the meditation, something just opened up. Mm-hmm. And so that was the next step in um, my understanding of the potential of meditation. And also a complete reset of like my identity. I realized I wasn't, I wasn't Richard fundamentally. I wasn't any of the things I thought I was. It wasn't my experience. I wasn't my memories. I wasn't, there's something much deeper than that, that we all actually are. The the foundational consciousness um, that, that usually we're not in touch with because we've been trapped in our identities. Mm. But from that point forward, I, I had more insight into meditation. And what I realized is I wanted to do was I wanted to be all of my life. I want all of my life to be that way. And so how can I come up with a way of meditation that will facilitate that possibility? And ultimately I, I, I think it was 28 or 24, 24. I went to Japan and my teacher, he was a master of, of the four samurais that he passed on to me. But he would do something even more startling. At the beginning of class, he'd say, Mokso, that means meditate. Um, and it would be like two seconds. Mokso, wadi. So meditate, stop meditating. In like two seconds. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Two seconds of meditation. Wow. And uh, I trained with him for some time. And at, at some point, I, know, I think this would have been around 2009 or so. Uh, maybe four or five years into the, my training with him, I'd gotten to a fairly high level. And I asked him, I think I told him the story of, of that karate training. And I asked him, you know, you have an even more odd situation with meditation in that it's just two seconds. And I'm not sure, you know, is it possible to meditate in, in two seconds to get to that meditative state in two seconds? And, you know, why did you decide on like one or two seconds? And he says, well, I didn't. That's how my teacher did it. I said, so do you know why he did it that way? He says, no. And I honestly never really thought about it. And he says, but I think that's great homework for you, like a great research project. Maybe you could explore it. And so I was thinking about it and it it occurred to me that it's probably uh, a remnant of original samurai training because you have to be able to flash into a calm, clear space where you're not clinging to your identity on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. Right, you have to be in an instant be able to, to turn into that, turn that clarity on, and ultimately you would, of course, want to move towards a life that's 
that that's always the case. Um, and so that became, of course, that's my hypothesis, but that then became the basis of the warrior's meditation um, in that the, the training will take us ultimately toward what I call flash meditation, the ability to just snap your, you know, it's like in a second, in 10, and poof, you open up what I describe as spherical awareness, which is the final step of the, of the six steps of the warrior's meditation. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I answered your question. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And it, it's so true that, uh, you know, in the, I mean, nowadays, and you talk about this in the book, nowadays, we don't have that quote unquote need to defend ourselves like the way, you know, that, that maybe in other cultures, maybe still have, but the samurai is, is a master at being a master mm-hmm. of being present, uh, because they have to be, that's how they're trained. And so it takes so many years of training to be like that. And what you're doing in this book is really distilling it down, like the essence of that and that it's accessible. Now we don't have to train necessarily for 40 years as a samurai, uh, to have something that is going to help us every day of our, our lives. And if we don't do it one day or we don't you know, decide or choose to, we're not going to die generally speaking. So, you know, there's a lot of flexibility here and, and that's, what's kind of exciting. Now in, in the book, you talk, like the differences about, you know, the other types of meditation uh, and then really kind of contrasting with this. And and in the book, definitely being careful of not saying that something's good or bad, like mm-hmm. this meditation is good or this is not so good or whatever. So it's I think it's more about what what is really useful. At least that's the way I interpreted it. Um, I have a process I call stillness on the fly, which is like a, a mini process similar to, to yours, where it's sort of like. You know, in any instant of every day, you can, you know, you could be doing dishes, you could be running, you could be. I do find it difficulty sometimes in the middle of like, you know, CrossFit to <laughs> to to actually be, but um, working on that um, to be able to just be in that state, which I think is so so cool. Uh, so tell us about that that because some people were like, well, I already meditate, so how's this different? Yes, and so. I think you said it very, very well in, in that the, the, the meditations, each of the types of meditations that's available, they're, they're, they're formulated for specific purposes. Most meditations are formulated for religious purposes, although mm-hmm. they diverge from the origin to some degree, like mindfulness meditation has largely been decoupled from the original Buddhist types of meditation. But um, Buddhist type meditations were typically seated with eyes closed or mostly closed um, for monas- mon- practice in a monastery or something like that, so or a temple, whereas the warrior's meditation is meant to be used on the battlefield or in daily life. So it's done with eyes open. It's done if it, from for, for my practice. I do it while running, while walking, while sitting, while standing. You know, in, in any way possible, because see, meditation isn't actually a mental activity. What it is is you're getting in your. It's like your awareness drops to more basic levels of the nervous system and become accessible. So you, de- you actually can develop uh, a communion with the body on a deeper level and gain much deeper awarenesses. Um, and so the warrior's meditation is really, it, it's, it's focused to be highly practical. And it's not based on the idea that the senses are the gates of, our, of illusion or something like that. So a Buddhist meditations typically have the idea that the senses are what cause us to be lost. And so you, you meditate to turn off the senses to get clarity. And while that, while that certainly can work, um, I'm not sure that the senses need to be the enemy. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My idea was that I'm not going to assume that that anything that's innate to the human being is inherently wrong. There's something morally incorrect about it. So I wanted to see how I could take meditation into all aspects of the human experience and found that I could. Yes, it took some training and some diligence and persistence, but but you can. And, and if you begin the practice with persistence, a lot of the benefits you will start to receive like right away. So it's very quick for a lot of people the benefits that they get from, from the warrior's meditation. But it's not that they finish at that point. It's like you just keep you just keep growing through the process. I do it every day. Yeah. Well, and, and well, the way we've been conditioned, uh, at least in North America or the, you know, the Western world is there's a little bit of that perfectionistic. I need to get really, really good at it. And then it's going to then it's going to do something. Um, and then people when I when I was in a holistic medical practice, my patients would say, oh, Dr. Karen, I can't meditate. It's impossible. My mind is going way too fast and I cannot sit still. Blah, 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 blah. Right? And this is before I developed my stillness through observing internal movement. Um, so how, how do you respond? Because you, you probably have some students possibly that might start in that headspace. So how do you respond to that? What I, what I typically will tell them in such a circumstance is that showing up for meditation is doing something more than just what you believe you're consciously experiencing in the meditation. So we have the abstraction layer, the mind. I also call it the daily window of perception. And it's not the only thing involved in your meditation practice, but deeper layers of the nervous system are also involved. And so you could go through meditation and still have the, the thoughts and whatnot that are going on and disturbances, but deeper levels of the nervous system are being reprogrammed. And so over time, things will shift. Each time that you show up for meditation, you're essentially telling your body, you're like giving those deeper layers of the nervous system the message, I actually love, respect, accept, appreciate, and trust you. Like, I'm here for you, right? It's kind of like people often ask for, um, this is, it's really obvious when, when, when you do a little travel around the world, but um, in America, there's, there's a lot of psychological illness, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. Uh, and a lot of that is actually a result of when we were children, our parents didn't really spend much time with us, right? We might have been raised, like we might have been infants, raised in a, we had our own bedroom separate from our parents, right? Which is totally unnatural for a human being. If you look at the evolutionary history of the human being, right? So like this fear gets impregnated into our nervous system, this feeling of aloneness. There's so many people who feel alone, even in a crowded room, right? Completely unseen. It's, it's because our, uh, we as adults, we as parents um, didn't give them the time. And maybe our children have behavioral problems, but maybe that's just a result of the fact that we weren't there for them when they were young. Like if you look at, how uh, indigenous people raise their children. The baby's strapped to mama <laughs> from day one. Right. Just strapped to her until it's a toddler. And then they walk around with her and do it. Everything is done together. Mm. You know, everything's done together. And isn't that what our children actually want? Mm. Isn't that what our children actually want? And, and then we as adults, will, we, we might wonder, why our children don't respect us. And it might be because we didn't respect them. Wow. Right. 
But meditation actually helps to undo a lot of that feeling of aloneness and disconnect because it little by little opens up deeper level of the nervous system to the awareness of the fundamental connection of beingness. Yes, you could almost look at like when a when a infant when when a human is conceived, that moment of conception, there's there's no identity. There's only the experience of life directly. But as the senses develop, as the body develops, as the brain develops, the identification process develops. Mm-hmm. And the mind then gets trapped in self-identity, in your name. But you're not really your name. That's mm-hmm. just a label, like it's like the number on your mailbox. It's just it's for functional purposes. You're not really that. But how many people don't like their name? You know. I was one of them. <laughs> strong emotional feelings about their name because they kind of don't like themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. It is. And so that developing embryo in you know becomes a baby a toddler it's lost that connected feeling to that original life to the original beingness and so it looks to mother and father for identity and love but if they're not spending much time with us then we don't receive that love and meditation is a way to reconnect with the original love and that mm-hmm. original love is actually the, in the, the deepest um, level of, of, of human consciousness that we're usually not aware of. Right? But it can open up. And then we no longer have codependent relationships. We no longer depend on how people think about us. Uh, we're free in a, mo- in a very fundamental way, not a self-absorbed way. But in right. a connect- yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, you know, because, because, you know, the, our, our, the way we're programmed is like, well, I can't settle down to, to go into meditation or I'm, ha- I'm really having a bad day and I can't meditate. And there's all these reasons why people say they, they can't meditate. And even I was one of them. Yeah. You know, I was like, ugh, I'm too busy. Ugh. You know? <laughs> there was always an excuse. But I think the part of me that didn't want to do it is because I didn't want to fail. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't want to be not good at something because I had this self-esteem issue that I had to be good at everything sure. Sure. that I put my mind to. So there's all these different reasons or where people, you know, do or don't do things. And what I love about your book is it's really accessible because it's not about doing it perfectly. It's not yeah. about having this particular result by this time, Yes. you know, uh, and that's great. Now, now some people, if they haven't gotten your book yet, and by the way, the Warriors Meditation book, can you share where, uh, where, where people can get that and what your website is, Richard? Yes, yeah, so Where's Meditation will be probably available in any online store, maybe most especially, most easily found probably on Amazon.com. Um, my website is richardlhate.com. And there's uh, 30 days of, of free Warriors Meditation training. And then if you're interested in more advanced training over and above that, that is of more of a spiritual nature. Because the Warriors Meditation, as I convey it, it's just practical. It's helpful for anybody. We all have stress, right? Our days are hectic. But you can do it while you're driving. You can do it while you're on the train. You can do it while you're walking. You know, that's you, you can start with all of that. Beginners can walk in it and can use it while driving and things like that. So you can get that experience in these little gaps of time, a few minutes here, a few minutes there. As you develop the experience, you can take it into ever more intensive activities. Eventually, you learn to be able to run in it, to talk in it, to work in it, to read in it, to write in it, and all of that. Eventually, it becomes just a part of, it's just a part of your life. And it's no longer considered a meditation anymore. It's just you're clear. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the practice there is not about perfection. Uh, it, it's um, and, and not even about a specific result. Um, like many people are, you know, trained to, to see it as that. Uh, but it's not uh, for me, for example, if I'm in the zone, some people call it in the zone when I'm figure skating um, to be able to call on it just because that's just who I am. And that's, you know, uh, every day is like that. So if I, if I'm practicing even for seconds at a time, minutes at a time, it's accessible as opposed to me going, well, I'm going to go to meditation retreat. Not that that's wrong. Cause I really like those um, meditation retreat. And I'm going to do meditating eight hours a day for five days straight and then come home and do regular life and kind of forget about that. You know, this is very, very practical because I can call on it. And at any time uh, that I desire and whether I'm in a bad mood, whether I've had a problem that I need to solve, which of course doing the meditation is super helpful because the ideas just drop in. I don't have to work for them and fret about them. And even if I'm anxious or worried or whatever, I go, okay, what does it feel like to be worried? <laughs> and, That's right. you, become, you, you make the experience, you become conscious of the experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you can, could you like kind of give us a little bit of a snippet of because some people hearing, oh, there's six steps. Uh oh, <laughs> you know, so so maybe you can like allay people's uh, uh, potential fears about uh, am I going to be able to learn this? Sure, sure. Well, the first thing I think might be helpful to explore is, is the is attitude, because as you, mm-hmm. you talked about, essentially perfectionism, you wanted to get it right. And the pressure that that creates on the psyche will block us from being able to meditate because. We need to be able to relax into the process, certainly in the beginning. Now, later on, I teach people to do it under massive stress, right? You know, we have what's called Fukuro Shinai. It's it's kind of a practice sword. I do this with some of the people that are here. It's a training sword that's covered with leather. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You actually hit each other with it. And it doesn't hurt that. It doesn't cause damage, but it does, you know, smarts a bit and makes a big loud sound and the nervous system clenches up, but... If you've trained sufficiently and uh, almost reprogrammed that more basic nervous system not to go into fight, flight, freeze mode under pressure, uh, then you won't have a negative response to it. And you'll be able to, to pass various, I have a number of tests, mm. that, martial arts training that would be very difficult to explain here. But, um, but that fundamental reprogramming is essentially part of it, but you can't just get there tonight or today right. or the first time you met it. It's, 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 it's healthier to think of the process as a, as a, as a gradual movement toward harmony, a gradual mm. movement toward reprogramming the basic nervous system. And also, and that will then play into your prefrontal cortex type thinking mind, um, higher functioning mind, the daily window of perception. So instead of, you know, getting into like philosophy and thought and all of that to solve all your problems. A lot of the solutions to your life will just bubble up from the, yes. uh, from bodily awareness. Yeah, exactly. Uh, boy, being a big thinker, um, I would just worry and ruminate over problems and trying to solve it would lose sleep. I mean, this is a pattern in the past and got me to burn out fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, blah, 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 you know, all yeah. that stuff before. And I've learned, okay, that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and now that I can be more in the body and fully honor my body, instead of seeing it as some unnecessary vehicle, I, I, I wish to transcend to fully acknowledge the body and respect the body. And like you said earlier, the senses, 
you know, not to like not use the senses, but actually to use the senses on purpose uh, in the warrior's meditation, which is fantastic. Um, then I just find that things resolve, almost resolve themselves much faster, like synchronicities occur. Um, you know, I might even have a thought. I mean, I, I laugh about this, but I might even have a, a, a thought one day of like, hmm, I'm running out of underwear or something. Right? And then all of a sudden the ad will come up and whatever. And maybe maybe Facebook or Google's like reading my mind now. But, you know, but it, it's <laughs> but it's a synchronistic like ease of just attracting Yes. The right, like, I'd be like, gee, I wish I could learn such and such, right? And the thought comes up, but in that mode of meditating, and then it's like the teacher shows up, or so-and-so knows so-and-so who mentions such and such. I'm like, I've been looking for that meme, or I've been looking for that teacher, or, you know, and it's just so cool uh, yeah. when that happens. And I'm sure you get lots of that experience, uh, you know, happening yes. for you. Yes, Absolutely. And many students, I get letters and emails and things like that talking about such experiences that people have. Uh, but the, the the basic steps of the warriors, there's, so this meditation was refined when I moved to Japan and, and trained with this teacher, Osaki Shizen. Um, at some point, I got advanced and he, he wanted to learn the therapy art that I was doing because he had a bad knee. And I worked on it and it got better. He, he could train um, he had to stop training for a while because of that knee. And then it was, it was, uh, it became a kind of exchange. I taught him the therapy art. I taught mm. him art and then he taught me the martial arts and we brought them all together in one unified training system. At that time, we were only working on the final step of the meditation, which I call spherical awareness. And I'll explain that in a bit for the audience. But when I moved back to the States before going back, I was like, you oh, know, how am I going to pass this on to, other people because like the the bridging method that we use to get to spherical awareness in the martial arts training is not something i could convey to anybody unless they had years of martial arts training so right. it was practical and he said well what kind of meditation were you doing before we started coming up with this stuff and, well i was just going through the senses i was working in a warehouse and I, I felt it was kind of not a very challenging job and so i kind of thought well what if i just like spread my awareness out over the whole space so like peripheral vision and I just listened to the whole space. And, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, I started to make this like ninja game because we had other workers. And so I had, I had this game that I was playing while I was working in the, in the warehouse, which was my job is to be aware of where everybody is at all times. And if anybody sneaks up on me, that means I was assassinated. <laughs> this, this is before I went to Japan, right? But you could clearly see the martial arts, martial artist in that thinking. And, but if I, if I could detect them before they got to a certain distance from me, then I was, I successfully fended off the, the ninja, you know? That's fun. Right. Yeah. So I started out with peripheral vision and, um, and like this, just like all hearing kind of intention. And then uh, when I went to Japan, I studied Sotaiho before I met this teacher that's a, a kind of physical therapy, a Japanese physical therapy. And in that training, you, you get an enhanced bodily awareness. So I started working more and more on that bodily awareness. And that becomes then another step of the meditation. And then I spent a lot of time in nature. And I started to notice how the sense of smell would enhance as I was out there. And that would stimulate the deeper brain. So I thought, okay, I'll incorporate that too. So I was four steps, you know, and finally I was like, okay, well, there's only one more basic sense. So it's a sense of taste. So I'll toss that in. <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened. So I explained to him, you know, that, that that's what I was doing was just five senses. 
And he said, well, why don't you just use that? You know, that'll be your bridge into the spherical awareness that we've been practicing. So those are the six steps, right? Oh, that's neat. Well, I want to share with you that, uh, well, in, in, um, uh, my, my husband and I have been walking the dog outside barefoot. Uh, so I'm getting, you know, my feet are getting more and more conditioned to do that. It's getting a little chilly now, but we're still doing that. And one day we thought, well, what if we could, what if we just walk backwards for part of this? We kind of know the path. And so we started doing that. And at first it was just really like, oh boy, <laughs> right? Like there's a bump there. I wasn't expecting. And then I thought, wait a second, I can use Richard's spherical awareness. Yes. Hello. Right. And so I purposefully, as as I was walking backwards, now the dog would be interesting because he'd pull here and there, but it, so it would take my awareness away. But the, the minute I could kind of, you know, incorporate it all, it was so interesting because I could step and I noticed I'm just stepping more confidently. Like I, it's like I knew what was back there without seeing it, which is very a very highly visual. So it's it's kind of cool that that's happening. So that's getting better and better. I just wanted to report that to you because I just thought it was so fun to be able to walk backwards and, and not feel like I'm going to trip on something. Yes, yes. I think it's brilliant that you do that. Um, that's that's well, Sox Sensei and I were just constantly trying to find new ways to challenge our awareness and our meditative training. And so that's very clever. Uh, I used to do spend time like walking through the forest with my eyes closed. I don't yep. recommend that for a beginner. No, uh, <laughs> I don't recommend that for an intermediate meditator. But uh, but there are many ways to to play the game. So in terms of mindset, it's helpful to actually think of meditation as almost like a game, mm. uh, an exploration. Go into it with an exploratory state through an exploratory state rather than be too serious about it. Right. Right. Like, right. Instead right. of I have to get there. Yes. It's more like a child just playing for the sake of playing. Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, I used to teach the warrior's meditation to uh, to children. And what I found is that the children pick it up like super quickly. Like in one <laughs> yeah. session, in one session, they can run in a meditated state. Oh, my God. Once they hit puberty, all that self-consciousness begins and all that uh-huh. seriousness begins. And then they're blocked and it'll take that individual maybe weeks or months to get to a point for, for adults. Sometimes it might be a year. It depends on the individual and how much they practice. Um, oftentimes they have preconceived notions of the limitations of meditation that block them. Mm. If they didn't have those preconceived notions, they might be able to, to sprint in a meditative state within a few days or weeks, or even maybe the first session. But once we get past puberty, it's like, there's a lot of blockages. Oh man. It's a very natural experience what I'm doing. And many people have, 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 uh, sent me emails letting me know that that spherical awareness step is something that like it just naturally happened to them when they were children they're walking along the beach or they were you know walking down the road in the evening and then suddenly something opened up and when they practiced meditation the same thing happened they had forgotten about the experience as children meditation like oh my gosh so i think this is a it's a natural thing um, fundamentally if we allow our bodies to be in circumstances that would naturally bring it out that's a typically natural circumstances uh, like going to the beach or whatever yes nature helps a lot and it, what you're what it sounds like you're almost saying is like remembering it as opposed to learning it yes yes, yes. like how the natural way of, of being that we've been conditioned out of and yes. like it, like you said the self-consciousness and all that yes. i've been actually argument. really there's a clear argument to that, that that what we're really doing is just realizing something that's um, it's just a potential of the human being. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to give you another funny story sometimes. It, well, in the past, uh, I, uh, there were all sorts of interesting, you know, things growing up, uh, being uh, thinking negative things about myself and being called a klutz and blah, blah, blah. So um, now I get kind of tickled pink a little, Richard, because I'll be walking along and granted, I'm probably doing two things at once, <laughs> but I might be holding something, thinking about something. And then at the last minute, like it's not even in my physical visual field, but I'll avoid the dog, the dog toy. Whereas in the past, I would have stepped on it, hurt myself, tripped, fell, whatever. And I let last minute just like whoop, just went around it. And I went, that's cool. No idea how that happened, but that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, people often will report that like they'll drop things and then like, their hand will just reach out and catch it quicker than they could have ever. Oh, crushing tiger, even hidden dragon. Foot, even their foot will catch it, you know? <laughs> yeah. You become like kind of Jackie Chan or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And and I, well, the, you know, prior to developing and 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 you know, hearing what you have been teaching uh, in our martial arts, Wing Chun, uh, I remember one of the students had said, "This is um, this is many, you know, I've done for I don't know five years, something like that." Anyway, year three, he said, uh, "You know, you've improved." And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, what I mean is, when a punch comes, you're not flinching anymore." Mm, yeah. And I was like, I never thought of that, but it's true because as a beginner, I had no sense of is their fist going to actually hit me or not? I had no sense of that spatial awareness or experience. But after receiving a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand punches, I know exactly the distance that is safe and what is not safe, mm. you know, and, and so that flinch, natural flinch response of a fist coming towards me, if it's a safe distance it's like eh. yes yeah. so it's kind of neat only so experience can give you that right yeah only experience right we can theorize all we want <laughs> but until in this embodied experience until we experience it sometimes it's just that's the that's the game that's the practice you know we don't, as humans don't really know our potential mm. yeah. and things like the warrior's meditation allow us to access um, the intelligence of the body and from my experience, it seems that the potential is far beyond um, what we're generally accessing. Mm -hmm. And that it doesn't actually take a whole lot of practice for some of those potentials to, to start to emerge within individuals. If they're, you know, again, if they're going through an, ex they're, if they're um, going into the meditation through an exploratory mindset, almost as if it was a game or something like that, right. um, everything gets a lot easier. And so having a little bit of a lighthearted attitude about it and not getting excited, um, sometimes. Mm, <laughs> almost, that that sometimes, sometimes can be a little challenging. Yes. Um, some, sometimes I, I get pretty often students will email me or readers will email me and and say something like, I, I had this experience during the meditation where like everything just fell away and I was like one with the universe. So there was no separation. It was seamless. It was the most amazing experience of my life. And then my response back is, that's wonderful. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it's likely that the mind now will expect that the next time you go into meditation. Yeah. And it might be a long time before you have a, an experience like that. Again, the expectation will block you from it, but you're not going to be able to turn it off. Oh, boy. You're not going to be able to turn it off. For, eventually, you'll, it'll just sort of peter out and then you'll get back to like, it's just a practice. Don't, don't. Um, 
anticipate, don't expect. You just, you know, you just go, you just show up for it. Uh, but it happened to me as well. You know, I had that massive experience and then I don't think I had, I don't think I regrounded for like six years after that. Wow. You know, um, and it was helpful because I told it, I told this experience of being one with the universe to one of my teachers. And I'm like, it's so frustrating because I so badly want to get back to that. And all those things yeah, I was yeah. saying to him and he says, and I was expecting, you know, part of that, part of the reason I was telling him that it, it was egoic because I wanted to let him know that I'd been one with the totality of being. <laughs> and he looks at me after he kind of looks, looks over me and he says, you know, I, I recommend you forget it. Mm. And I was like, so offended. <laughs> I, I didn't tell him I was offended. I tried to play it off as a, as if I wasn't offended, but but uh, but he was actually right. It was like mm. I kind of gave it some thought, and you know, and after a few days, I'm like, yeah, maybe maybe he's right. Maybe you know, all this stewing on it is not helpful. Um, so whatever the experience we have in meditation, you know, once you come back out of the meditation, which you probably will. It's not such a big deal. Mm. You keep it grounded. It's not such a big deal. Uh, one of the things that I, I I tend to say to myself if my mind is getting a little bit out or someone's someone's going into expectation, it, it, say they had a meditation just now that was fantastic. They come to me and say, "Oh, this is amazing meditation. I, you know, I had this fantastic experience to this." And I will say, "When when was that meditation?" They say, "It was like you know, I just I just had it a half hour ago." And, I, and I'll say, "Well, that was a long time ago." So I'll say that was a long time ago. Let's move on. Mm. Right. It's yes. Good point. It's helpful to think of it that way. Yeah. 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 Wow. Now let's, uh, one of the things we wanted to share with our listeners and viewers today is, uh, the vagal breathing. This is something that you had shared early on in the book, even before the, the six steps. Can you tell us what that's about and, and maybe walk us through how to do that? So, so vagal breathing is is a tool that I use in the book because there's a, there's this awareness that I call primary awareness, and it's it's a bit difficult. Well, it's maybe impossible for the mind to understand it without getting the experience. If I just explain it to people, they won't have. They'll think they know what I mean, but they don't have an experience with it, so they can't possibly be an accurate knowing. Hmm. And of course, our minds will play this game on us all the time. It's this tricky game of thinking we understand things that we actually don't have any experience with. Right. And so vagal breathing is something that I was doing when I was in Japan as part of the, the therapy method. And it's a, it's a quick way of stimulating the vagus nerve um, so that your normal daily window of perception, self-oriented perspective will quiet. And then it's like, it's almost feel like your awareness sinks into the body. Mm -hmm. And then depending on the individual and the time of day or whatever, there's many factors involved. For some of us, what will happen is all thought will turn off and then we'll have this profound awareness within the body. And fundamentally, that's what I mean by vagal breathing and uh, the primary awareness that okay. stimulate. Now we can stimulate that primary in the meditation. Ultimately, we we're aiming to get to that primary awareness without having to take a vagal breath. The vagal breath is a tool to at least demonstrate what I mean by primary awareness. There is some danger to um, vagal breathing if people do it too hard. And so I want to stress that before we get into it. And if you have glaucoma or you have, uh, you know, some kind of heart disease or cardiac disorders or things like that, 
um, you just want to be careful not to, to create too much pressure in your body through the breath. And what we're going to be doing is, is actually creating breath pressure that we will direct to our upper sternum in, in our practice here or in our play here and hold it for as long as feels right. And then we'll just let it drop. But in fact, I'll do it one, one time just to let everybody kind of get a sense of what I mean. And then you might try it on your own. And what I'm going to suggest here is that, you know, young people and whatnot, you can probably take a full breath and use a lot of pressure and that's fine. Um, but if we've got some issues, be careful. We don't want to, you know, have a stroke or something like that. Those things are extremely rare. Uh, people can have such results from, you know, pushing too hard on the, at the toilet. Right. Right. Yeah. Valsalva. Yeah. <laughs> basically a Valsalva maneuver. Right. It's just that it's, it's I'm, the only difference is we're going to be directing pressure to specific areas rather re, versus most Valsalva maneuver is just a generalized pressure. Make sense. So what you do is you take a, a deep breath in and then you press that, you use your body, your shoulders, everything to press that pressure right into the top of the sternum. And I kind of put my chin up and to, to amplify it. And now, again, if you have an issue, you'll just make a little bit lighter breath, not quite as intense. And you hold it for as long as you can. And then you just let it drop. Many people will suddenly become aware of their heartbeat. They may feel tingling all over their body. They may see, almost see within their body the spa a spaciousness. Some people have sort of psychedelic-like experiences. Many times the mind becomes totally quiet. You can see that Karen's mind has become quiet. Let's do it one more time when we're ready. You want to do this seated, seated by the way. You could pass out if you were standing. And if you have a little time, we might do it one more time. Is that all right? Let's practice aiming at 
in a little in a different place. See if we can put the pressure in a different place in the body, maybe like the diaphragm, maybe the belly button. Play with your body movement to help accentuate the pressure in those areas. In my body, there's a very blissful, happy feeling that came about. Waves of awareness. Yeah. My hands are pulsing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in all likelihood, what's all, all that's happening here is that the blood flow to the prefrontal cortex or the default mode network has gotten a little bit thin <laughs> as, uh, as blood pressure drops a little bit. And then suddenly we're aware in the body in a way that we normally aren't because our mm. identifying process is turned off. Mm. This would not be a very good method for the samurai to do in the battlefield. <laughs> Pass out. Right. So this is just a temporary method that I use to give people an example of what I mean by primary awareness. You see? Ah, okay, okay. Right? Gotcha. Meditation is where we want to go. Um, don't do this while driving. Right. <laughs> I made that mistake once and almost, you know, when I almost blacked out and went off a cliff. So you don't do it. I didn't realize that that could happen while I was in seated position. You know? uh, right. But yes. Yeah, so, so don't make that mistake, please. Right. Well, it's, it's very simple. And, and I, I, in my mind's eye, it sort of feels like I've got a balloon with air in it and I'm squeezing different parts of the balloon and it's po- popping out. Like, you know how you make animal you know, yeah. animal balloons, like sort of like that. So I'll be like, ooh, I, I really want to pop out the balloon over here and then maybe move here and pop out the balloon over here. So kind of intuitively moving in a way to, to force the air into different areas. It's, it's kind of neat. You can, you can actually release a lot of tension in the body this way through directed pressure. And there's almost no place. Mm. When you get really good at it, you can direct the pressure to anywhere in your body. <coughs> Pardon me. Okay. <coughs> wow. Yeah, that's cool. And like you said, it's not for, you know, the battlefield, but it's a great practice to to have, you know, oh, this is the feeling. And yes. Like almost the body memorizing that that template. So, I know I know you have a free vagal breathing video yes. um on your website, so that's Richard L Hate, which is spelled Richard L and then H A I G H T.com forward slash vagal. And on Richard's site, you'll also see other offerings as well. Um, and then you mentioned earlier a free 30 day, uh, meditation series. You want to just share just a little bit about that before we go? Yes. So the warrior's meditation is, uh, it's very flexible. It has to be practiced flexibly. Um, when I wrote it in the book, I just kind of wrote because it's a book, you're pretty limited in what you can convey through a book. I wrote it in one format going through the senses, but, um, in a certain order, but, but actually that order should, you know, it's helpful to shift it up. So you might start Mm. with visual total visual awareness seeing the big picture and then you might go to you know total auditory awareness you're not focusing on specific sounds but the totality of sounds 
the sense of smell and whatnot. But then the next time you do it, you might start with bodily awareness. Mm-hmm. You might think of a taste and you might go to the throat. So also in the 30 day training, there's a number of other things that you will learn, like how to meditate while lying down, how to go into theta meditation, which is another type of meditation. Um, many, many fun things in there. Um, but but also there's a where is meditation like uh, like a paid course, but like half of that course is free. And that that gives instruction as like that gives you like not just the how to, but why things are working the way they work. Mm. Right. So you get a better sense what's really going on. Uh, okay, great. And then before we started, you said you were actually doing a live training. Can you tell us a little bit about those kinds of offerings you have? Oh, so I, I actually do several types of life training. Right now we have a, a, a group here. Um, see, um, this training was, was ultimately developed through physical contact, through martial arts context. And so the students that are here, uh, I have a number of tests, physical tests that, that demonstrate to them very clearly the progress in the basic, in the, the lower level nervous systems, um, the, low, the more basic brain and, and bodily awareness. And it's a step-by-step system that's it's rather difficult to explain. But once somebody gets here and starts going through it, they'll start to realize a couple of things. One is your body is intelligent in a way that you might never have considered. And it has, it has a type of intelligence that your thinking mind simply cannot match. It's a different type of intelligence. but um, And that ability, that awareness then plays into your movement so that your movement is buoyed and will help you for your martial arts. It will help you for walking. It'll help you for like people. I've had people that they, they can't walk hardly anymore, but this has regained their ability to walk through this. Mm. Um, there's the, but the same principles that are taught through the physical training um, result in the ability to rebalance the body, to release inflammation, um, to overcome injuries and things like that. At the same time, we start to become, as we become aware of that basic level of the nervous system, we start to become aware of the ways that our mind has been trapped uh, through identification. And that basic practice makes it so much more clear than you could get just by thinking about it. Mm. Actually, you can feel yourself getting trapped in, by your thinking at, in your body. You can feel it. Okay. Uh, and that's really, really key. People often, will, will, you know, they want to overcome bad habits or, you know, their reactivity to things pe- other people say and whatnot. And they try to think their way out of that problem. But actually, it's much more expedient and efficient to get the bodily awareness because your body will warn you when the triggering is happening. You're, mm-hmm. you'll, like I could feel my heartbeat all throughout my body anytime. And my heart will warn me. My pulse will warn me. When things are going astray, right? mm. feel my general nervous system. As other people usually can't, unless you've done a lot of training, your nervous system will warn you, right? Yeah, that's really interesting because a, a lot of highly sensitive people almost feel in their minds that sometimes it's a curse <laughs> uh, because they are they they feel so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call it the clairsentience. They feel so much in the body that they can walk into a place and just all of a sudden have nausea or something. And it, and they know it's not their stuff, but then they, they're like, well, now what do I do with this? Right. Um, because it's like, uh, I, I don't really like the analogy of can, a canary in a coal mine, but it's sort of like the sensitives are the ones that walk in like, like me at Christmas years ago, walk into a Best Buy on, 
Boxing Day in Canada, which is the 26th of December, and uh, had a migraine after just a few minutes, realizing, wait a second, this is Boxing Day. There's like 10 times more people here than normal. Everyone's got their cell phone on. There's all this electronics. I'm a highly sensitive person. What the heck am I doing in there? You know, Um, and, and stuff like that. Um, so I think that if we can learn our body signals through the, uh, you know, this practice, it can be super, super helpful and not poo poo them or wish they weren't there or, you know, wish you got rid of it. I know a lot of people are like, I'm too sensitive. I wish I was normal. Yes. Through, through the totally now, uh, just, uh, I can first totally empathize with that experience because that's actually how I used to be <laughs> when I was a kid, we'd go into stores and I'd get totally overwhelmed. I remember, yep. I remember I can actually hear like almost like you know most people can't hear the whirring of like computers and stuff like that. I could hear it and it'd give me a headache. And I was like, <laughs> I never wanted to go into stores. Yeah. But as I as I was doing this martial arts training, that level of sensitivity there was it's disabled. It can be disabling, and that's not you can't the idea of samurai. It actually comes from the word to serve. Mm. You serve if you're disabled and overwhelmed. Right. Um, so one of the aspects of the warrior's meditation is to be able to become aware of that basic nervous system, but at the same time, be able to be so centered that it's, you're no longer imbalanced by the abundance of information. Mm. Right. And so it's a practicing of centering and grounding. And so you can almost look like, look at the mind as um, electricity. If, 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 you, if you have a current that's grounded, the electricity isn't excited. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's when it's not grounded that it it gets dangerous, and so right. I, what I realized is I needed to find an efficient way of grounding. And once I did that, then that highly sensitive, the negative aspect of that aware of awareness was no longer there. But it takes some time to get a sense for it. Yeah, right, and it's of. actually, as I like to say, your superpower. <laughs> yeah, it, it will end up becoming. If, if you can get the balance of the, of the ground and, and the center, then you can actually, there's, there's a lot of value to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's neat. You know, without, without the, without the minuses, <laughs> that could be right, very right. pleasant. Right? Yeah. I, I always get shocked when I not shocked, but pleasantly surprised when I see some of the films where the children are reading blindfold and then, and then there's, there's adult training, you know, blindfold reading. And it's just neat. Like you said, like some, there's, there's, um aspects of our talents gifts minds you know what that can do we don't even realize that we have that capability because we are never necessarily encouraged to train that part of us if we were encouraged right yeah yeah now uh when people come if they do come to your place for that training how physically fit do they need to be because i know someone's going to ask me that question <laughs> Oh, they don't need to be particularly physically fit, but um, we do. So I live out in the mountains. Uh, so you need to be able to just take basic walks and like, a, imagine like a basic hike or something like that's That's sufficient. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. I also do like live online trainings for students who've been through some of the basic courses. They're going to have questions and need to interact with me. So we'll get together mm. like 20 people and go like currently I'm just finishing up a year long one. That's a, kind of an advanced training but we have a step-by-step system we've got the basic warrior meditation training then you've got bodily awakening and rejuvenation it teaches you a conscious theta meditation and uh, ways to um, to activate the intelligence of your body so that your body then moves on its own to resolve a lot of the issues 
of uh, health issues and things like that. But nice. the primary purpose of it is, is, is to awaken the intelligence of the body. If the mindset going into it is to heal the body already, we're not listening to the body. We're projecting something mm. onto it. So mm. it's, you go into it very, very respectful. It's more like making space in which the healing could occur rather than trying to heal primarily. Right. Or force the it healing. Takes the Tell the body what it needs to do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Above Ooh. that, it's, of course, I call it the spirit of truth. And that's where there's at the base level of, of human consciousness, there's something that doesn't lie. It's constantly seeing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At, a, at a level that's unimaginable to most people. But it doesn't deceive. And when you get to that, then you start to see through all your nonsense, right? And so that course teaches that. But it also teaches, there's, there's also an aspect, and we've all experienced this, that deceptive spirit within us that will, would lie, would cheat, is looking for attention, might drop a name, I know such and such, or all that, all that, you know, it's the nonsense stuff that's not in alignment with reality. And that become you become on a bodily level quite aware of it. So you become on an embodied level aware of that spirit of truth and you can access it through intention to see through the nonsense, but you can also then explore the nature of that deceptive spirit so that, and how it plays out in the body so that when it's kind of raising its hackles, you'll know physically. Mm. You could curtail a lot of the behavior that might not be so helpful, necessary or meaningful in your life, right? But oh. each of these levels is an enhanced level of centered, grounded fitness. So your, your body will get to a degree of centeredness and fitness that you can't imagine possible just hearing about it, right? Right, right. It needs to be an embodied experience. And yes. very helpful as uh, my experience has been that to have a guide, you know, to it's one thing to read a book. And I, I definitely, I mean, you know, people can get the book and start. No question. This is not, it's not rocket science, but the way you've put it together is so elegant and simplified really um, that I don't have to do 10 years of whatever intensive training to, to learn it. But if people want to go deeper, they can go deeper with you. So um, again, just for folks listening in, so you can get the book at Amazon or all the other regular online bookstores, the warriors meditation, and then check out some of other uh, books of Richard's and then uh, Richard's website is richardlhate.com. So Richard L and then H A I G H T.com. So we have the 30 day uh, free uh, um, uh, little mini course, uh, warrior meditation. And of course the, the vagal breathing that we practice today. And, and Richard, any, any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our listeners before we end? Yeah, sure. Most of the challenges that we're going to have in anything we do will come from taking things too personally. If you can step out of that personal and go into an exploratory state, most anything that you're going to learn um, or unlearn will be easier and more rewarding. Your relationships will get better. Mm. Everything, and, and especially the relationship between the mind and your own body. We oftentimes, the mind is a, quite abusive to the body. Yes. And, <laughs> And the body remembers that. And you could imagine the body almost as, as an animal. It has intelligence. And maybe if we wanted to access that intelligence, it will be necessary to love, respect, accept, appreciate, and ultimately develop a trusting relationship, a communion between the mind and the body. Mm. It can be achieved. And it can be achieved very rapidly. So you know, have a light heart about it, an exploratory, a little bit of a playfulness about the process and 
I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Make progress. Mm. Great counsel. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, and, uh, yeah, just uh, giving your value. And uh, I'll also thank all of our light warriors and our light medicine community for tuning in and uh, leveling up your experience of your human embodied self in this timeline and this reality. Again, thanks so much. And we'll see everyone next time on Light Warrior Radio. Lots of love. Bye for now.